The reading is from Psalm 96, which is on page 606 of the Church Bibles, if you want to follow it in there. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. The splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant, and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness, and the people in his faithfulness. This is the word of the Lord. we go. A little bit of a uh, change of tone from last week. Let's pray. Sing. 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 Oh Lord, as we reflect on Psalm 96 together this morning, we pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts so that we see just how much we have to sing about. Don't let us leave here today unchanged, but please pour out your Holy Spirit among us and upon us that our hearts may be enlarged with spontaneous, joyful gushing of praise. Lord, would you make us a people of praise whose joy in you is absolutely infectious. And we ask this for Jesus Christ's sake. Oh man. Oh man. So since the start of September, we have been exploring together the prayer book at the heart of the Bible, which is the book of Psalms. Now, uh, we're looking at the Psalms as a language for our prayers. Because one of our values as a church is that we want to be a people of prayer. People of dependent prayer, people who pray not only sometimes about some things in some circumstances, but people who pray about everything at all times in all circumstances. And there really is no better place in the entire Bible uh, to go for a crash course on prayer than the book of Psalms. Every season of the soul is represented in this wonderful book. From the absolute depths that we plunged last week, Psalm 88, 
to these giddy heights that we hear today in Psalm 96 and just about everything in between. So, let me cut to the chase. Psalm 96 shows us quite plainly that joy isn't an optional extra alongside our worship. Joy is the very essence of our worship. It is what makes worship, worship. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Sing, sing, sing. And notice, it's not a suggestion. It's a command. Sing! Why? The answer is verse 4. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. The people of God are to be a singing people. Because they've got a lot to sing about. If they know God, they have got an awful lot to sing about. And so I, I put it to you this morning that if you want to tell whether there's spiritual life in a church, a good barometer is how it sings. God isn't glorified by glum, sour-faced people who mouth words of praise in a bored, monotonous voice. This is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. God's not honored by that. God is glorified by people who actually find him glorious. Who take joy in him, whose attitude and demeanor say to God, you are supremely precious. You are beautiful. You are infinitely valuable to me. So just read this psalm. You've heard it read to you. Do you think, having read this psalm, we can get too carried away in our worship of God? There ought to be an exuberance to our worship according to this psalm because we have an, an exuberantly great God. Verse 6, splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. But there's also another dimension to our worship that comes through in this psalm, and it's this. Worship is witness. Often we, we tend to think of the inner worshipping life of the church being quite distinct from its outer missional life. But Psalm 96 blows away any such distinction. Worship is witness. Praise is proclamation. Singing the faith is sharing the faith. Worshipping joyfully matters, not only because it's how we express the value that we place on God, but also because it shows others the value that we place on God. To praise God when you have no real pleasure in God isn't worship, it's hypocrisy. But to worship God with joy is like a big flashing neon sign advertising God as the ultimate joy giver. Get your joy here. 
Let's just begin at the verse, uh, first couple of verses. Let me read them for us again. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Sing, the psalmist calls us. Let your joy overflow in music. Now, music is one of the great gifts that God has given us because it's a carrier of emotions. God made us to be emotional creatures. And music has a way of both carrying our emotions and shaping our emotions like little else can. What I mean by that is it can stir feelings inside of us. It can, and it can lead me towards joy, even if I'm not necessarily feeling joyful in the moment. At times then, the command to sing is let the joy out. But at other times, the command to sing is stir up the joy within. Uh, the acclaimed uh, lyricist Yip Harburg once said, words make you think. Music makes you feel. A song makes you feel a thought. The Broadway actress, uh, Christian Kenoweth, said, we sing because we can't speak anymore. And one of the best quotes about singing I'll, uh, that I've heard is this one by the French writer Victor Hugo. He says, music expresses that which cannot be said and on which it's impossible to be silent. Christian singing is a response to all that God is for us in Jesus. Uh, in Psalm 51, verse 15, David prays, Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. In other words, he's saying, If you put a song in my mouth, I'll sing like a bird. The Swiss theologian Karl Barth says this. He says, The Christian church sings. It's not a choral society. It's singing is not a concert, but from inner material necessity, it sings. Singing is the highest form of human expression. What we can and must say quite confidently is that the church which does not sing is not the church. And where it does not really sing, but sighs and mumbles spasmodically, shamefacedly and with an ill grace, it can at best be only a troubled community, which is not sure of its cause and of whose ministry and witness there can be no great expectation. What's he saying? He's saying that the church sings, not because it has to, out of a form of legalism, but because if you tried to zip up our mouths, they would explode anyway. We can't keep it inside. There is a joy in us that just has to find a vent in praise. And at this point, I expect um, some of us to be thinking, you know what, that's, that's, that's all really well, but I'm not a singer. Hearing me is a bit like hearing a cat being strangled. Trust me, if that's true of anyone, and you can testify to this, it's true of me. I have a terrible voice, have no ear for pitch or tone, and if there are any men especially in the room 
who are thinking, well, men don't sing. I watched the rugby last night, and although the result was disappointing, I heard more than one male voice belting out, swing low, sweet chariots. Don't tell me men don't sing. And don't be look so smug, Nivern. <laughs> you got lucky. <laughs> we jump to our feet and we cheer and we raise our hands when our team scores a goal or even kicks a winning penalty two minutes from time. But why do we do those things? Because words aren't enough. If something matters to us, it's, it's natural to express it in action, in song. So why would it be any less so with God? And let me draw out something else from the first couple of verses. The psalmist says, sing to the Lord a new song. Why a new song? Well, I've spent um, quite a while uh, preparing, as I've been preparing, meditating on that phrase, a new song. Why didn't he just say, sing to the Lord? Why did he specify a new song? And I think the answer to this is because with God, there's always more to be sung. I think the answer is, is just that. If we ever come to the point where we're not singing new songs to God, I think our God's too small. If we run out of things to praise God for, I don't think we're worshipping the one true God revealed in Jesus. Because he is an ocean without bottom or shore. He is a treasure chest of inexhaustible delight. So, to put it really, really bluntly, if worship bores you, it's not because God's boring. <laughs> Let me again just make this observation. Singing to the Lord a new song isn't a suggestion it's an instruction. Now, let me just try and say this carefully. Worship didn't peak in the 80s with Shine, Jesus, Shine. Okay, I'm waiting for the tomatoes to get thrown at me. New songs are still being written. And it's great to sing the hymns of faith from the 80s or the 1880s, or the 1780s, like a bit of Charles Wesley, or even the 980s BC like this. But let's also learn new songs. Instead, uh, uh, you know, sometimes we, we learn new songs and we don't know them. And yes, we love songs that we're familiar with. But let's also take up the opportunity of learning new songs new ways of praising the Lord, a new vocabulary of praise. Because if you've got to the end, if you think you've got enough words, enough songs in your vocabulary to praise God, I think I just have to warn you that heaven is going to be difficult for you. And so the invitation to sing new songs to the Lord 
uh, is the call that's right at the end of the, the Narnia books. Further up, further in. And I just want to say, I, I really hope that if the Lord grants me to live till I'm uh, 80 or, or 90, that I'll still be singing new songs. Not because the old ones are bad. In fact, I reckon that people will still be singing In Christ Alone in 50 years' time. Not because the old songs are bad, but because I'm still actively engaging with God. I'm still discovering fresh wonders of his love. You're just as it's not a healthy sign if a church doesn't sing, so also it's not a healthy sign if a church doesn't sing new songs. If all its music comes from the same era, whether that's the 1780s or the 1880s or the 1980s. Now, just to say it again, because I know I've been misquoted, I'm not saying, I am not saying old songs are bad. I'm saying, let's bring out of the storehouse treasures old and new. I love the way that uh, John Piper explains the significance of the new song. He says, when new songs are being written and sung to the Lord, something is happening in the church. It's a sign of unusual life and vibrancy. People are not just living off the spiritual capital of previous generations, but they are dealing vibrantly with the living God and their song, and their songs are being sung to him. He is real. He is personal. He is known. He is precious. He is present. And when these songs are beautiful and biblical and engaging, worship is often more intense and personal. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, that the existence of new songs in the life of the church isn't a threat, but a gift. It's a sign of life. In the same way that if, if there's a new child born into your family, it's a sign of life. And yes, there'll be some disruption, there'll be a bit more noise. But it's a sign of life. It's a sign that there is fresh encounter with the living God taking place when new songs are sung. So having spent most of the time so far reflecting on the call to sing and the call to sing a new song, let me now try and move on uh, to draw out the link between worship and witness, praise and proclamation, singing the faith and sharing the faith. So again, I know I'm hitting these first couple of verses hard, but uh, just listen to them again with me. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. So first I want you to notice who the psalmist has in mind as he calls us to sing. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Among the nations, among all peoples. This isn't just a song for those of us in these four walls now. It's a song to be sung in the midst of the world. It's an invitation to the world to join in. And second, I want you to notice the four verbs that are used in these first three verses. All of them are uh, grammatical uh, imperatives, that's the, the, their instructions. 
Sing, praise, proclaim, declare. And so the message is simple. We declare God's glory by singing. And to praise God is to proclaim his worth. The psalm puts before us an important law of spiritual reality, namely that the effectiveness of our missional life, how good we are at reaching out with the gospel, is directly related to our worshipping life. How on fire with love we are for God. And when you think about it, that makes sense, because you, you wouldn't advertise a new chocolate bar with a clip of someone taking a bite and then shrugging their shoulders and saying, it's all right, but it's not a whisper. Would you be a pretty poor advert? Now, the difference between the advertising industry and evangelism is that we're not selling a product, but introducing people to a person. And we don't have to massage the truth to tell people how amazing Jesus is, because he is just amazing. But we are meant to be walking, talking advertisements for Jesus. The New Testament language for that is witnesses. The risen Jesus, uh, in the beginning of the book of Acts, before he ascends to heaven, says to his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so that being true, the question is, what kind of witnesses are we? Sadly, many Christians are rather like that person shrugging their shoulders and saying, I'd prefer a whisper. Their lives give little or no visible evidence that they find Jesus compelling, that he is their greatest treasure, that they value him above everything else. Often we can be just as bitter, just as greedy, just as debauched as everyone else, sometimes even more so. Claim to worship Jesus, but lives lived suggest that actually the whisper we'd prefer is power or money or sex or fill in the blank. Our witness and our worship are one. The way to show to other people that Jesus is supremely valuable is by him being supremely valuable to us in a way that changes us, that shows itself in every area of our lives. And has it ever occurred to you to ask why such a psalm as Psalm 96 about the the global reach of God's kingdom and the duty of God's people to proclaim his salvation day after day among the nations begins with a call to sing to the Lord? Well, the answer, I think, is breathtakingly simple. You can't Invite people to join the choir if you're not singing yourself. I've said it before, and you'll probably be absolutely sick and tired of me saying it, but I'm going to say it again. You can't give what you don't have. If you don't find Jesus utterly captivating, what chance have we got of trying to persuade someone else that he is? If Jesus doesn't thrill us, if he doesn't captivate us, if he, uh, if, he, if he doesn't make our hearts leap with joy, we're just 
door-to-door salesmen hawking goods that we don't believe in. We're a bunch of liars, hypocrites, and cowboys. But do you see what all this means about how we are to understand mission? It means that we're at our most missional, our most evangelistic, when we're worshipping God with all that we've got. Not just in song, but with all that we've got. Now, this isn't a new observation. Uh, David Watson, uh, who was, uh, used to be the, the vicar at St. Michael the Belfry in York, rightly saw this. He said, when we are taken up with worship and when we're unashamed of the fact that we are in love with God and in love with one another, that can be very powerful indeed. When Christians are to be found really worshiping God, loving him, serving him, excited by him, and when their worship makes them into a caring community of love, then questions will be asked leading to excellent opportunities for sharing the good news of Christ. Our first value as a church is to be a church that worships joyfully because that's the ultimate invitation of the gospel. You and I were made to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what worship is. Uh, and just to, I know, um, just to quote John Piper again, another one for your bingo cards, He says, mission exists because worship doesn't. The goal, worship is the fuel uh, fuel and goal of missions. It's the goal of missions because in missions we simply aim to bring the nations into white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. But worship is also the fuel of missions. Passion for God in worship precedes the offer of God in preaching. You can't commend what you don't cherish. The church's mission, our mission, is a singing mission. Jesus has put a new song in our hearts, and our mission is to go out calling other people, come sing it with me. Now, again, part of the the research for for this message, I discovered that scientists have have found out that not only do we and, and other animals sing to express our emotions, but that singing also gives our bodies a hit of a a chemical called oxytocin, which is a kind of bonding chemical. Now, oxytocin is the the chemical our bodies release in physical and sexual contact. It's also especially strong in nursing mothers and their infants. So the findings suggest that singing binds people together. That's really interesting, isn't it? It's just interesting that the way God wants to declare his glory among the nations is by singing. Now, don't get too literal about this. I'm not, I'm not saying that we need to go out door to door uh, and start singing, uh, shine, Jesus, shine. Other songs are available. But who knows? God might call us to do that. But rather what I'm saying is that God has established this connection between worship and witness. Now you see the thing about mission is that it's not a response to the need. But it's an overflowing of fullness. God's mission to draw people to himself doesn't arise from any lack in himself. God isn't twiddling his thumbs going, I'm really, I'm really lonely. 
I wish I had some people to make my life a bit more interesting. He is perfectly happy in himself. It is not out of a, a need in himself that he reaches out to us. It's because he is a fountain overflowing with love. And that's what a fountain does. It overflows. The Puritans saw it clearly when they called God a fountain of sending love. All mission comes from fullness. Uh, the motivation for mission isn't because, well, our churches are shrinking and you know what? We're getting a little bit older and we need some more young people to come in and do the jobs. No, the motivation for mission is that we're filled with the fullness of Christ and we want to offer him to others. Isn't he amazing? You need to get to know him. That's the motivation for mission. The fuel of mission, whether it's here in Osset or in Japan, where Adam Young has gone with OMF, or in other parts of the world, such as Indonesia, which is, by the way, the most populous Muslim nation on the planet, where 70% of people have virtually no contact with the gospel. The, the, the motivation behind it all has got to be joy. If we don't have joy in Jesus, we've got nothing worth sharing with others. Because that's the offer. Joy in Jesus. Again, John Piper sums it up. He says, we are thrilled and exhilarated to know him and sing to him. And we summon the world, all the peoples, to sing with us to him. So you see, mission has got to be about more than just being in contact with non-Christians. It's got to be about inviting the families of the nations to ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. If we're not doing that, we're not involved in mission. So what we've said is that the church's mission is a singing mission. But before I close, I just want to look very briefly at how we're to sing and what we're to sing. So first, how are we to sing? The answer is there in verse 9. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Holiness is the voice with which we proclaim God's praise in the world. Now, holiness is a very churchy word. It's not one that we use in our everyday lives. You don't go to a new restaurant and say, that burger was holy. Or at least most of us probably don't. It means to be set apart for or devoted to God. But when used of God itself, the, the word holy means he's in a class of his own. A league of one. Completely other. Completely set apart. God's holiness is his essence as the creator. So what then does it mean to worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness? Well, it could mean one of two things, and I think it's actually intentional that it means both. First, I think it means worshiping God as God is. It means making sure that we're worshiping God who is big enough. Are you worshiping a holy God, a God who is in a league of his own, a category of one? Is that the God you're worshiping? It means worshipping him such that others read off from our worship. Wow. Your God must be pretty amazing. 
It means having knees knocking at his majesty, being humbled at his compassion. It means being besotted with all that God is for us in Jesus. But secondly, I think it also means being clothed in holiness. It means living our lives in a way that say, I belong to God. That we're his, that he isn't just a holy hobby to us, but he is our all-consuming passion. He is our living Lord. And so if holiness is how we're to sing, the second question is, what are we to sing? And we read the answer to that in the following verse, verse 10. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. What's our song? Our song is that Jesus Christ is Lord. Our song is that the bloody crucified Lamb of God is now risen and alive and exalted forever as the king of the universe. That's our song. Our song is all hail King Jesus. The song we sing among the nations isn't how great the church is. The song we sing among the nations is how great our God is. The goal of mission isn't just to bring people into a church building. The goal of mission is to bring them to God. It's to bring them into his kingdom. It's to invite them into the joy of living under his rule and reign where what he wants done is done. Because God's great purpose is to be known and loved and enjoyed and worshipped and glorified among the nations. Not because he's an egomaniac. He has no need of our praise whatsoever. Rather because he is our greatest joy. And for him to love us means giving himself to us for our enjoyment. What's so astonishing about this psalm is that it shows us that God has a role for you and me in his mission. And it's not an arduous one. His plan is to feed us with the richest of foods from his table of delights, to quench our thirst from his plentiful river, and to do that in front of a watching world, so that when we go, oh, that's wonderful. Others say, I want a place at that table. That's mission. That's the meaning of this psalm. But with the the glorious invitation shared far and wide to rejoice and be glad in the Lord, verses 11 to 13, comes a final warning. God comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. In other words, the final warning is that there are serious consequences for those who will not be happy in God. Indeed, that's the way one theologian describes hell, a place of suffering and eternal unhappiness for people who refuse to be happy in the triune God. And so the message, the Lord reigns, carries with it an implicit judgment on the foolishness of trusting false gods. If Jesus is Lord... Caesar isn't. If Jesus is Lord, money isn't. If Jesus is Lord, I'm not. God lays claim on the allegiance of all the earth, all the peoples, all the families of the nations. 
Now, as I close, I, want, I just want us to feel the urgent and sober reality of our missionary work as the people of God, of why singing among the nations matters. So the Barnsley-born missionary to China of the late 1800s, James Hudson Taylor, saw this truth only too clearly. He says this, Christ's unconditional command, go, I am with you always, is sounding on and on, while with it mingles the low wail of thousands passing hour by hour into Christless graves. It is profoundly, unutterably real. A million a month in China are dying without God. And we who have received in trust the word of life, we are responsible. So I mentioned a little bit earlier the country of Indonesia. And it's just one of many places in the world that needs the gospel. So I did a bit of digging On average, 238 people die every hour in Indonesia. Out of them, 167 of them will have never known a Christian or heard the gospel. We need to get serious about the Great Commission. (laughs) Because while we've got work to do here on our own doorsteps, There are very, very few people in this country who can say that they've never had an opportunity to know a Christian or to go to a church. Saints, we have a song to sing. We have a great God who is most worthy of praise, whose salvation we have seen and known through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Anyone should have something to sing about. It's us. So it's high time that we, as the people of God, stopped playing trivial pursuits and started taking our joy in God seriously. Not only for our own sake, but for the sake of a world where countless billions of people have never heard. God's love song sung over their lives. Never. C.S. Lewis once said that joy is the serious business of heaven. Let's get serious about being joyful in God. Because there are billions of people missing out on a place in the choir because we're not singing to them. Let's sing to save the lost. Amen? Amen. So as we um, respond, I just want to suggest a couple of ways that we could respond um, this morning. And uh, just as as we were praying um, this morning... uh, before the service, I had a, had a picture in my, in my head, and it sounds a bit strange, but try and go with me. It's a picture of a, a, of a songbird that wasn't singing. And uh, as, I, as, I, as I watched it, uh, these hands uh, took this songbird uh, very gently in it uh, and just started massaging very gently its, its throat. And it started singing. 
And I just had a, had, a, had a sense that this might be a word for some of us this morning, that actually we need God just to massage our throats, to open those vocal cords, to help us sing. And for some of us, that might be a really literal thing. Maybe we've got physical problems with our vocal cords. But for some of us, it might be a, a spiritual, metaphorical thing where we just we, we long to sing. And we need God to massage those vocal cords. And so if, uh, if, if that speaks to you, we'd love to, to, to pray, pray with you. Uh, and perhaps even uh, in some appropriate form, we might just pray, kind of putting hands around your neck, not throttling you, but just putting hands around your neck and pray for God to release those vocal cords in song. And the other, the, the, the other sense as well is just... Yeah, this, this psalm is not only about singing, it's also about mission. It's also about reaching out to the world. And so I just want to invite us, if there's anyone who feels a particular burden or desire to, to go out on mission, we are all missionaries. But for some of us, our mission may be across the street. For others of us, it might be across the world. And so if, if you just would appreciate someone coming alongside you and praying that God empower you to sing as a mission, wherever that mission field is, we would love to pray with you. So shall we, shall we stand and let's, uh, let's just take a, take a moment, just in quiet, just to wait on the Holy Spirit, then we'll, we'll, we'll sing. Uh, and if you want to, if you would appreciate the opportunity to receive prayer ministry, uh, the prayer chapel will be open. So let's stand if you're able. And let's just take a moment just to wait on the Holy Spirit. Calm Holy Spirit. Loosen vocal cords here this morning. Calm Holy Spirit. Put a new song deep within us. Holy Spirit, come stir hearts here among us to go out on mission, to go sing of your love and to sing your love song over a lost world, whether that's across the street or across this planet. Come, Holy Spirit, minister to each and every one of us as you know we need. Come, Holy Spirit. So we're going to sing.